just thank you, Lord God, tonight, Lord, for your goodness, Lord. Lord, we magnify, Lord God, and just want to praise you tonight, God, because of your mercy, God, and your goodness, Lord. Father, we believe, Lord God, your goodness, Lord God, has driven out, Lord, Lord, cancer out of Kenny's body, out of Linda's body, out of Paula's body, Lord God, out of Danny's body, Lord, tonight. Lord, we believe in the goodness of God, that reaching down and touching, Lord God, that back pain right now. Lord, the goodness of God that is that's taking care, Lord God, of that irritation, Lord God, uh, Lord, in the sinuses, Lord God, and the aggravation in the hearts, Lord. I, I just believe tonight, Lord God, that your goodness, Lord, is pouring out in this place and that, Lord, we are confident as your children that we serve a, a good, good Father in Jesus' name. Come on and praise him because I know you're loving. God bless you. God bless you. You can be seated. You can be seated tonight. Amen. Thank you, worship team, this evening. Let's give these guys some love. Amen. A couple of quick announcements. Um, men's breakfast is going to be Saturday the 29th. Uh, we're going to be installing right after breakfast. Those are able. We're going to be installing the new playground equipment for the kiddos. We lost our playground equipment to uh, uh, in the last storm. And also uh, Cinco de Mayo. We're going to be celebrating uh, on Friend Day, and that's going to be a potluck, and that's going to be uh, April the 30th. You'll get more details on Sunday. But if you'd like to help, cotton candy, um, face painting, those kinds of things, there's a sign-up sheet. Uh, if you want to bring something, please uh, just put your name on the list out there. Everyone's welcome. Utilize this time. Bring, uh, uh, bring your friends and your family. That's what it's for. Amen? Amen. Let's look here as we are continuing in the book of Ruth. Andrew and I, we, we thought we could wrap it up in one week. That's not possible. <laughs> She's lost Ruth. It is in the Bible. It's the Old Testament. And uh, page 900 and 873, so sorry. Okay. Uh, of the English Bible, it's in 700. Not, not, uh. Okay, we've gone to chapter 1, chapter 2. We're not going to recap because of time. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. You can find them on the website, on the, on the uh, uh, Facebook page. We're going we're gonna to start in uh, Ruth 3 tonight. Lord, we need your help. Lead God and direct us tonight. Let us see you. Let us see the church. Let us see, Father, what you're doing. In Jesus' name. Chapter 3, we want to read this in its entirety. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? That it may be well with you. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Verse 3, therefore wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, lie down. He will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, did according to what her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, he washed, his heart was cheerful. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down, laid down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled, turned and turned himself. There a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And so she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then she said, Blessed are you. Of the Lord, my daughter. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning... It shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative to you, good, let him do it. 
But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize her. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the, women came to the, flesh, that, that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six, six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, and she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. This is such a great story. Now, the title of tonight's message in Ruth chapter 3 is the proposal. Now, when you read the story through our Western eyes, it sounds more like it should be titled The Proposition. But it is the proposal. Now, what we see here is this is so interesting. The very first verse in chapter 3 is Naomi speaking. Should I not seek a resting place for you? so that it may go well for you. Naomi's approaching Ruth. Shall I not seek a resting place for you so that it may go well for you? Now this word resting place, this is not just a chair to sit in. This is not just somewhere to, you know, to ease your burden and, and take a load off. This resting place in the language of the Hebrew, it is the resting place of a home, of a husband, of a protector of provision, of security. May I not go and seek a resting place for you. Doesn't that remind you of Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28, Jesus speaking? Come unto me, yes. all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your heart. The fact of the matter is this, when we join with Christ, we become his bride. And we find that promised rest, that security, provision, and protection. It's interesting that Christ offers a yoke. Isn't that? When you think of a yoke, someone wants to yoke you. A yoke. It's a, it would be an instrument of, for plowing that it would string two animals together. You'd be connected. Now, I don't know if we would look at that and say, that's a positive thing. Come unto me so, and take my yoke. But what we see here is there's something that is inferred with that. Any animal, and I know we don't like to be compared to an animal, but it's the comparison that's being done here. That any animal that is yoked is yoked by its master. When he says, take my yoke. See, there's something in there. I don't know how many farmers we have in here, but even if we do have farmers, we probably don't have farmers that plow with yokes of oxen, right? But maybe, maybe somewhere in your past you remember or you've seen a television show. But if you have an animal that is broken to a, to a yoke, and you bring the yoke out, and the animal is used to the yoke, what will that animal do? And just drop its head down, accepting the yoke. You see, that is the imagery we're supposed to get whenever we are offered rest of the Lord. It's, I mean, how many times does the Lord offer us rest and we come fighting and flopping and flailing and just saying no and he just basically has to hog ties and hold us down and say this is for your own good and we're still flopping and kicking. You know like giving a three-year-old a shot. By the time they actually figure out what's going on, now they're fighting it. See that, and, we, and, you're, and you're as the parent, you're, it's for your own good. Christ is offering us his yoke. He's offering us, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. He's offering us security, provision, and protection. Ruth is a story about redemption. And now as we get to this chapter, we're beginning to see things change. But how many of you know change takes time? It does. This is where I think so many people don't receive the, the fruit of a choice. They just drag up before the time. So many people, you know, we see Ruth here. She made the tough choice. She went to the field. So many times that I see people come into the church and they, they make a decision, and I believe it's heartfelt. I mean, I believe it's sincere. But there's always seems to be one thing that they lack, just enough time for the fruit to be born. Just it. Any choice has to have one thing, time. Everything needs time. You see, the word, the word revelation, it moves at the speed of light, right? I'm preaching tonight the words. I hope the Holy Spirit takes the words and he brings them. They move past just your auditory function of your ears and they pierce your heart and they bring a change. See, that's the word moving at the speed of light. How many of you have ever been impacted by the word of God at the speed of light? Yeah, that's the miracle of the word of God. It's living and active and sharper and powerful than a two-edged sword. It pierces divide. We know that. That's the spirit of God using the word of God and moving at the speed of light. But then there's another speed. It's called the speed of seed. And I see a lot of people make a move with the speed of light. They feel it. Oh, man, they've got the goose pimples, you know. They come down, somebody prays for them. They fall out. It's like, that's good. They're crying. It's, oh, it's so good. And then, see, that's just the seeds being sown. Now, what? there's one element we need. Time. Jacob, when he was little, he always wanted every apple he ate, he wanted to plant an apple tree. Every single time. He couldn't eat an apple that he didn't pull the seeds out and bring them to me and say, Mom, can we plant an apple tree? And I would say, yeah, we can, Jacob, but you're not going to get apples anytime soon. Well, what do you mean? I said, an apple seed, you can plant it, and then it's going to have to grow. We would have to plant it inside probably and get it up and then put it outside. I said, you're looking at from that seed, Jacob, before you can eat an apple, you're looking at about five years. Five years. Now, let's just put this into context. How many times have you made a decision and the revelation came to you at the speed of light and you didn't have the time for the speed of the seed? This is what we, it's so, there's so much fruit that's available from the Word of God. See, Ruth made a choice to go with Naomi. And then she went and she gleaned from barley to wheat. And she's still just walking it out. But see, when she made the choice, I said it before, the earth didn't shake, the heavens didn't clap that she could hear, the road didn't get any shorter, the situation did not change one iota in the natural. But the Lord had planned fruit for the future. And all she had to do was be there when the appointed time for harvest was there. How many appointments for harvest have we not even shown up to? It's like, where are you? I just see the Lord in our future sometimes going, where are they at? I've got all this for them. They asked. Oh, yeah, they bailed out to start over. 
I just, I just want us to understand that rest is what he offers us. And we can rest in the fact that he's going to be there. He's going to be there to bring the fruit of everything he promised. And we're beginning to see here in Ruth that this redemption story, that's what Ruth is about. It's about redemption. And this redemption story is starting to bear fruit. It's starting to bear fruit. And what we're noticing is the time has been put in and things are beginning to change. How many of you, that's all you're looking for, is you're just looking for something to change? Redemption should include change. It should include change. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We should, if we expect anything from the word of God and the impact of the seed in our life, then we should expect change. That's all I want to see is a revival that brings people in and it totally upends and changes every aspect of their life. I just want to see prostitutes turn into Sunday school teachers. I just want to see drug addicts turn into board members and preachers. I just want to see those who come in who have been rejected and dejected and outcast and feel overlooked. I want to see them come in and gain a new identity in Christ and see the redemption story that involves change be evident in their life. That's all I want. I'm not asking for any more. I don't want anything miraculous. All I want is what the Word of God promises, which happens to be miraculous. I mean, I believe this. I'm just dumb enough to believe it. I believe that drug addicts can be free, just like that. Or I believe that God will be with them to walk step by step until freedom is a fruit that's born on their branches. Where I want to tell you a story. I had a woman in our church, an elderly woman, sitting in life class one Sunday morning. But I think we called it Sunday school back in that day. And so I was sitting there, and I said, anybody have any, I was fixing to teach. Anybody have any prayer requests? This is a good plug. You should go to Sunday school. You never know when you're going to get a miracle. And so she said, yeah, I've got a prayer request, Andrea. I said, what is it, Emma? Would you pray that I quit smoking? I mean, she was an older lady. I was like shocked. Do you smoke? I mean, that's what I was thinking. I didn't say it, though. But that's what was in my mind. And so I said, yeah, I'll pray you quit smoking. She said, I've just smoked for so many years, and I just want to be this to be out of my life. I said, okay. There was another younger woman sitting beside her, and she said this. She said, ditto. And I went, and I looked, and then this is just, the Spirit of God just sort of came on me, because then this came with this warning. You know, I could have just prayed and went, oh, Lord, help them quit smoking. Amen. But that wasn't all it was. I just looked at him, and I went, do you really want to quit smoking? I mean, do you really want to quit smoking? Yeah. I said, because I'm fixing to pray for you, and God is going to remove this from you if you'll let it go. But if you don't let it go, God's going to take it to the next level, and he's going to remove it from you by force. Do you want me to pray this prayer? And they're like. <laughs> so I was like, God, bye-bye. You know, I was casting it out. So I went on talk. You know, okay, that's done. Right? So by Sunday, by Wednesday, this one woman, she came to me. She said, the older lady, she said, Andrea. I said, what? She said, I just realized this morning. I said, yeah. She said, I forgot I smoked. I said, what, Emma? She said, I don't know how to explain it. I haven't smoked since Sunday. She said, I literally forgot that I smoked. She said, I threw away all my cigarettes. She said, because... I didn't figure I needed them if I, know, if I didn't even remember I smoked anymore. That was the older lady. The ditto lady. She had a heart attack. She, a minor one that didn't do any damage to her heart. I was like, I was like, oh. Mike called me. He's like, Tina had a heart attack. I was like, what? I think I did this. So I went to the hospital about half scared. You know what I mean? I was like, 
I was, we, walk, we walk in, we're like, and as soon as I opened that door, she sat up in that bed, she said, I've quit smoking, I swear. <laughs> and she quit too. So I don't know why, but we should expect a change. You know, we need to mean business. God has the power in his supply to bring about everything we need. This is not a fairy tale about good people trying to do good things and fairy princesses and, and fairy godmothers coming, turning pumpkins into, into carriages. This is a story about a living God dealing with real people, causing absolute change and transformation in the worst of sinners and even in the best of people. God wants to change people. She can paint her toenails now. Praise God. That's good. So we see this change. It takes time sometimes to materialize. It's great when it's instant, isn't it? But sometimes it takes a minute. But look at this. I love this. Naomi. Let's get back to the story. Naomi, her mother-in-law said, My daughter, should I not be seeking a resting place for you? Wait. Who's seeking the resting place for Ruth? Does that not strike y'all as odd? Isn't this the voice of bitterness that was once telling her to go back? I've got nothing for you. See how redemption starts working? Naomi was this mourning, cantankerous. If a woman changes her name from pleasant to bitter, we got a problem. I want to, I'll bet you she's not fun to be around. You know what I mean? But yet Ruth stuck with her. And now look, because of Ruth's choice and Ruth's service. See, second milers, they discover the fruit in the second mile. Second milers discover all the benefits that are there. Not many people can tell you about the benefits of the second mile. You know why? Not many people go there. I mean, I can tell you the story of buttoning up my stepmother's wedding dress. The woman who, after my mom and dad were married for 35 years, he ran off with her. I didn't even want to go to that wedding. You know, I'm grown. I have kids. I'm like, I'm not going. And God said, yeah, you are. I said, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. See, that second, he said, what about second mile? I said, I don't care. You can take the second mile. And No, I didn't say that. <laughs> but I thought it. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, I didn't, did I have to go? Well, God told me to go. But how many people find lots of excuses not to do that, right? But I went. I was just, it was a, it was a struggle just to go. I walked in the door of my aunt's house. And my aunt said, Andrea, come here. Edith needs your help. <laughs> she shoves me in this bedroom where this woman who has got this long white gown on, I'm thinking the irony. <laughs> and I'm supposed to help her button up a wedding dress that has 10,000 little buttons up the back and on the sleeves. And so I sat there, and just me and her in the room. And I buttoned every single button. Buttoned it. My heart broke. And I fought back tears. And she was ruining my life. This woman was ruining my life. My family's life. And I buttoned it. And I buttoned it. And I buttoned it all the way, the last one. Then I said, let me button your sleeves. I buttoned it. I buttoned it. And I finished. And I walked out the door. And did anything change? Mm -mm. Years. Years went by. I just had one, I had two little girls at the time. One was a bouncing baby on my hip called Hannah. Years 
passed. Twelve years later, I'm at a house, my house, and I'm cooking Thanksgiving meal. And my dad is there, and his wife is there, and my mom is there, and her husband is there, and who my brother was estranged from my dad is there, and his wife is there, and Mike's mom is there, and his aunt and uncle, are, all these people. And I'm in there, and I'm trying to get all the Thanksgiving stuff ready, and I'm getting it all ready, and I'm getting it all ready. And so, so much time has passed, I forgot about the seeds I sowed. I forgot about the seeds. They were hard in the moment, but they was long gone. They were in the ground, in the soil, covered up with years and years. But God is faith. If, if we'll be faithful to be at the appointed time, he will be faithful to be there too. And so as I'm making Thanksgiving meal for all of this family, the Lord just tapped me on the shoulder, Ray. And I said, he said, whispered, this is the fruit of the wedding dress. I went, wow. Twelve years. And we laughed and we had Thanksgiving together and everyone got along. But it takes somebody who's willing to go into that second mile and serve in the place that you shouldn't that nobody has a right to ask you, and that nobody would ever dare expect it. But when you do that, I just believe Jesus goes, mm, 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 mm. that's my girl. Assign that harvest. Don't, isn't that exciting? Wow, and now here we are, we're seeing Mara, the one who calls herself bitterness. She's going and she's taking, she's changed it. The whole redemption is working. Now she's gone back to pleasantness and she's saying, I've got to take this on myself. I've got to find you, somebody who's going to set you up for life. He's faithful, y'all. God is faithful. He is a very present help in time of need. He's faithful. When everybody else is faithless, you know what God will be? He'll still be faithful. I mean, you may think that all of this, that the whole story is, and Naomi thought it, and Ruth thought it, and the whole town thought it. They all thought that this is the hand of God gone out against them. And perhaps it was, because how many of you have children that you don't discipline whenever they do something you don't delight in? If you don't discipline your children when they need discipline, what does that make you? A negligent parent, right? So you discipline in love. But where do you leave them after you discipline them? Do you go lock them out of the house and abandon them? See, God doesn't either. He is continually faithful right by their side. Mara thinks, Naomi thinks, I don't have anything. And she's trying to get rid of the very thing that's going to completely restore everything. I mean, I want to tell you right now, the very thing that you may be trying to get rid of in your life, it may, the job you're trying to get rid of, it might be the job you need. You're trying to get a new I don't know. I want to say a new wife or a new husband, but that's never a good thing. Some people think that, though. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. I'm just going to stop there because I'm going to keep going all night. That's good. Keep going. Keep going. That's, that's, that's good stuff. As we look here, I want you to see something. The Book of Ruth is such a brilliant masterpiece of the Holy Spirit. As we look at that and that redemption story, you see, as Andrew's talking about the harvest, it's all about the harvest. You see that, as we spoke last week, the first chapter is about tragedy, all the loss, all the things that they had endured, lost husband, lost children, lost inheritance. The last chapter, we see the redemption come all the way back full circle. But you see at the end of the first chapter, it mentions the barley harvest. You look at the second chapter, and it mentions the wheat and the barley harvest. And then you see in the third chapter, towards the end, she's bringing in the, the, the fruit of labor from that harvest, Amen. all leading us to 
those seeds that she had sown in that field to bring her to the last portion of the fourth chapter of, of the book of Ruth. The genealogy that leads from Boaz to Obed to Jesse to David to Solomon and all the way down the line till we get to Christ Jesus. See, so the seed that Andrea had sown, and I was there with her that day, and it was no easy task. It was not an easy moment to walk into that awkward situation against all odds and walk in there and then to see the courage of my wife as she's asked to be brought into a room in a place that she didn't want to be to begin with, but then to see be sitting there 12 years later to watch the harvest of that interaction. What we see here is such a, Ruth is such a, a, a wonderful prophetic book. There's no prophet standing on the hill. There's no loud trumpets that are taking place. But woven within the pages there is not only the redemption story, but it's the introduction to the church. And it is the, uh, the, the harvest that's going to lead all the way to Christ. Now, What's interesting to me as we look at this passage here, we see that, as Andrea mentioned, the title of this message tonight is The Proposal. I'd like to talk to you about the proposal a little bit, a little bit deeper. Uh, first off, I want, to, I want to look at the location of the proposal. Now, we see there in the, book, in the book of Ruth how that Boaz is in at the threshing floor. The barley harvest has been reaped. The, 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 the wheat harvest, we can, we can say, is in process. And there he is. He has labored. And now at the end of that labor, he lays down to rest. Now they're at the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place of separation and celebration. The Bible tells us in Matthew and also in Luke... In Luke 3.17, he is, speaking of Christ, winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. We see the indications that there is coming a harvest of the last days. But we see there whenever they, was, they were up on the field and they, were, uh, and they were taking the grain and they were smashing it out and they would take the winnowing fan and they would throw it in the air and the, the wind would catch the chaff. But the edible portions, the part that they're going to bag up and take home, it begins to fall to the ground. And this takes place over and over throughout the day as they are processing their harvest. Then they gather it in. So here the Redeemer is sitting there with the ripened grain that had been harvested. Can you see the imagery of the end time? But what I want to note here is as Ruth is about to make, she's the one going to make the proposal. We're, we're going to catch that in the story in just a moment, but before she makes the proposal, we see the location that they're at. But then we see the timing there's just things that just capture my, my mind sometimes when I'm reading the scripture. And it's usually like that, you know, as the, the older ladies used to say, it was kind of like a bee in my bonnet. Just kind of gets stuck there. And it's like, you know, I was looking at that and I noticed it was, it was nighttime. And she said, wait till, Naomi said, I want you to go and wait until he, he lays down. And then I want you to go see the place where he's laid down. And I was like, Lord, night, night. Why, why did it have to be at night? Why, why could it be in the middle of the day? Why didn't they just, why didn't she make their proposal out there in the field? And why, why in the world did it have to happen at night? And then the Lord just kept, I kept asking the Lord, why the night? And he said, look closer, son. And I said, well, it, was, it says night. He said, more specifically, it's at midnight. When you're studying the Word of God, you have ever been a license to hyperlink scriptures together. You know what I'm saying? In other words, when you're looking and studying the Word of God and you see something stand out like that, you can take that scripture now and you can look at other scriptures and that'll draw into that and bring more revelation than what you can even imagine. So it wasn't it was just at night, it was at midnight. 
So a little simple word study, you can discover that some things happen at midnight. In fact, uh, the first occurrence we find at the time of midnight is whenever there was a cry that went out in Egypt. The children of the firstborn of Egypt that did not have the blood on the doorpost uh, were slain. And it was only then that the Egyptians said, get out of here and here, take stuff with you. And they departed from bondage at midnight. Can I help you a little bit here? What, what is happening here in this proposal? When this proposal where there's going to be a connection between this, uh, this would-be alienated uh, individual from another nation, another tribe, another culture, another creed, uh, now she has come and she's going to reach out and say, I want to be your bride. What's going to happen? Same thing that happened to Egypt. They are going to be set free. Amen? Amen. Come on now. Are we seeing it? Is, it? is it clear enough for us? Uh, what happened at midnight? We find out that Samson at midnight uh, went in one of the cities and he tore the gates of that city off. I believe, folks, as we come into relationship with Christ Almighty, we can rest and know that just like in Judges 16 and 3, that we have the authority, folks, uh, to take the gates off the city. Amen? What, what time of the day was it when Paul and Silas was there and they were in the pr inmost part of the prison? Those, uh, those, that apostolic ministry was being held and there was a jailer in the prison house and uh, they were following mission and as they were on mission, what time of the night? Uh, let me see, let's, what are we going to do, Paul? Uh, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's just begin to praise the Lord. Let's just begin to magnify God. And all of a sudden the Bible says it was midnight and at midnight, the foundations begin to break up. And as the foundations begin to break up, then the doors flung open. And now the apostolic prophetic ministry was released again, and it was at midnight. It was at midnight when Paul was preaching, and Eutychus, the young man, fell asleep, fell from the window to his death at midnight. What did Paul do? He went down, went out, fell upon him. He brought, raised him from the dead and brought him back and seated him again at midnight. Oh, what happens when the church enters into that relationship with Christ? We can take a generation that had born into a world that they did not create that may appear to be asleep and maybe have fallen to their death. It is the obligation of the church to fall upon them in prayer and faith to see them not only resurrect but seated where they should be in the church you're the future we believe in you we need you you're not the church of tomorrow you're the church of today and you need to be properly seated in the house of God amen but that happened at midnight one last occurrence that took place at midnight and I think this is what we need to see Matthew 25 and 6, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming out to meet him. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. All of this happened at midnight. When you see that midnight and you think, well, is, this, is it too much of a stretch? I don't believe so. Because what we're seeing here is the imagery of the, of, of the bride as she comes into relationship with the near kinsman redeemer. Now, you say, well, where do you get the proposal? Now, we look at that through our Western mind, and we see that, we see that, you know, Naomi, it looks like a setup, doesn't it? It's kind of like that scandalous, you know, one of those fancy, this is your one chance, don't. <laughs> How does that go? Here's your one chance fancy, don't, don't let me down. Your mama's going to move you uptown. It's kind of got that, it's kind of got that overall feel to it, doesn't it? You've looked at that and you've thought, what's going on here? What's happening in this scenario? Well, see, we're looking at it from a Western lens. We got to look at it from a cultural point of view. We got to look at it from, from the context of what is really taking place. Now, we see there's a timing issue. Now, she tells her, I want you to go and I want you to anoint yourself. I want you to wash yourself. That is bride language. 
in culture that's in the Hebrew culture that's part of they would anoint themselves they would wash themselves said I want you to go put on our translation here says best robe some commentators believed that she removed her mourning gown other Jewish commentators believe she put on her bridal gown why didn't Boaz approach her early on could she had still been wearing her mourning gown and she was not approachable she wasn't she wasn't open to an invitation but she goes out and Boaz is camped at the threshing floor because the, they're living in the time of the judges where raiding bands would come in and steal their harvest, destroy their crops, anything that was good. It was a, it was a dark time in Israel's history. In fact, it was a time during Gideon's reign that the book of Ruth was believed to be written. And so what we see here is that there, he's laying out there, and he's startled when he wakes up. I don't know about you, but if anything was laying on my feet when I woke up, I would be a little bit like, what is going on? I mean, my kids would come in at night, and I don't know if your kids would do this. They would walk in when they were little, especially my girls, and sometimes Jacob would do it. And they would walk to the side of the bed. They would come to my side because I was closest to the door, and they would stand there. God, what are you doing? And if they stood there long enough and they didn't get my attention, they would just ever so slightly go. <laughs> what? I gotta use the bathroom. It's over there! And inevitably, I would wake up freaking out, and that would freak her out, and she'd be like, why are you freaking out? And I'm, I don't know, I'm just woke up in this space staring at me. One night, Jacob, sleep calls me. Middle of the night, he's a teenager. He sleep calls me, and he, I answer the phone, and I said, I said, Jacob, what are you doing? He said, why did you leave me? She wakes up. She's freaking out. What are you doing? I said, who are you? She said, who are you talking to? I said, I'm talking to Jacob. Where is he? I don't know. I left him somewhere. Where did you leave him? I don't know. <laughs> I go in his room, and all of his covers are off the bed, and he's sitting on the end of the bed with his phone in his hand. And I was like, sound asleep. I said, Jacob, hang up your phone. Okay, Dad. Put his covers back on him, he goes to sleep. Wakes up the next morning, just, hey. I'm like, like, what's wrong, Dad? I said, I don't know, somebody woke me up. Midnight. Midnight. So she's out there. Boaz is obviously startled. He turns. See, she had uncovered his feet. And so her request of him was spread your wings over me. See, she's no longer in mourning. She's made herself available to be a bride. She's, claimed, she's asking for her redemptive right. More to the point, she's asking for Naomi's redemptive right. So, to cast the garment on a would-be bride is to bring them under their wing. In fact, the, the, the amplified version of that passage there, in the New King James, it says, take your maidservant under your wing. In the amplified version, more to the point, it is spread the hem of your garment over me. That word hem is the outer fringes of the garment. It, to cut in, in ancient Mesopotamia culture, to cut the hem was to strip off someone's personality. 
In fact, a husband could divorce a wife by cutting off the hem of her garment. You say, well, how is that even possible? Any military, ex-military in here? Anybody ever watched a military movie? <laughs> Anybody ever known a soldier? What happens whenever you look at that individual, and I couldn't tell you the rank, but those that are in the military, they know rank because they're taught rank. When you walk in, you see those stripes on the shoulders or that, or that whatever the insignia is on, their, on, their, on their, their, their lapel, you know full well what rank they are in the military. But see, in Hebrew culture in those ancient days, uh, the, the, the authority was and, and the identity was, was embroidered into the lower parts, the, even the corners of the garment, as we talked about Sunday. And, and so I took a deeper study. It, it's, it's the very, very lowest extremities uh, of that garment uh, would be woven in their, their lineage, their culture, their authority of their community. And oftentimes they would use those embroidered areas of their garment that identified them and they would press that into unfired pottery to bring authenticity to that pottery. I don't know about you, but that's fascinating to me. So that when the woman with the issue of blood, when she reached up and she touched the hymn, what was she touching? She was touching Christ's authority. Whenever the, um, she was asking, Ruth was asking, said, look, I want to be your bride. Now would you cast your shadow? Would you cast the wing of your garment? Would you cast your hymn upon me and accept this responsibility to become my bridegroom? And he said, yes, I will bring you under my authority. You are mine. Now, church, what happens whenever we accept Christ? He whose healing is in his wings. That word wing is him, its skirt, the borders. The son of righteousness who has healing in his wings. He reaches out and he covers his bride with the authority, with the covering so the proposal, she's there. And see, it was Naomi who represents Israel. Led Ruth, which represents the Gentile church, to the near kinsman redeemer. And now she is there and says, because see, Naomi cannot, she cannot raise up seed. She's past age. And there is Ruth, her proxy. Her proxy to say, I will connect to the Redeemer and bring forth the seed that will carry forth all the way to Christ. There is the proposal. Andrea finishes up. As we look at verse 15, 16, or 15, I'm going to go 17 and 18 very quickly. We have to see this. Also, he said, bring the cloak that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. And when she went into the city, verse 17, and she said to Naomi, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. Then she, Naomi, said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has settled the matter this day. Oddly enough, we're supposed to get the fact that chapter 1 starts out with Naomi saying, Shall I not secure your rest? And then we have ending verse, Naomi saying, Go ahead and sit down and rest because now the matter's in his hands and he won't rest until it's finished today. Now, what we might wonder is why the six ephahs of barley? Well, what was going on here is that Ruth was just carrying this message back to Naomi. He didn't want her to go back empty-handed, so he sent her with a code. Because you see that as soon as she walks in the door, she tells her a thing. He said, and he gave me these six ephahs of barley. And Ruth doesn't have any explanation for it. Instantly, Naomi's like, go ahead and rest. It's all right. 
He's going to take care of it today. And you're like, what? How do you know that? See, she's a Hebrew. She speaks in the Hebrew code. He gave her six ephahs of barley. See, God created the heavens and the earth. The first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day. The sixth day, he was the eve before the rest. And when he loaded her up with those six ephahs of barley, she knew what the message was. It will be, I won't rest until I finish the work today. And then there'll be rest. So see, this is a, there's a whole lot more in this story. It's the last day of work before rest. That's what the six ephahs of barley mean. The man, the, the capital man, the man will not rest. The man Jesus will not rest until he has settled or finished the matter this day. There is a rest, therefore, that remains for the people of God. We should labor to enter that rest. If we can't see this, we're going to miss the whole of what the redemptive story is about. He has come to give us rest. If we must labor, we must labor to rest. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, 2, as well, there is a rest that remains. And what does that mean? Is it there's a rest that remains in like a day coming? Well, yeah, that's, that's good. But it, I think it may, I always look at it like this. There's a rest that remains. You see, when a Hebrew, their calendar, their, their, their time, it, we go from midnight to new day, right? Hebrews, they don't do that. 6 p.m. p.m. at night starts a new day. 6 p.m. at night is, the, is their midnight to us. So like when we go from midnight to 1 a.m., it's already the next day. Y'all know that, right? For a Hebrew, 6 o'clock at night, 6 p.m. at 6.01, new day. See, they always step into the new day with their eyes open. Seeing that different? See, when, they, when a new day, you know, that's why they, they move in. So there's a rest that remains. Whenever Christ finished the work on the cross, he said, it is finished. He would not rest until the work was done. And whenever he said it was finished, he invites us to come to that rest. The author of Hebrews says, labor to enter that rest because that rest remains. Because when you step into the rest of the Son of God, that rest just goes on and on and on. On and on. You don't have to get up and labor again and try to get saved again. It's the rest that continues on and on and on. Ruth carried this message of rest in the form of seeds to Naomi. She carried the message of rest in the form of seeds to Naomi. We are told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Carry the seed all you can carry. It just doesn't get any more deep than this. Yes. That's the message. The abundance of the seed speaks loudly. When Mike and I were missionaries in Scotland, I'm finished. When Mike and I were missionaries in Scotland, we had a woman who was in our church that we had planted. And um, she was a business lady that had gotten saved at our very first outreach. She owned a local business. So she was a sharp lady, and she was a sign language interpreter in, this, in the Church of Scotland, but she'd never been saved. She didn't even know salvation. So our very first meeting, she actually gets saved. I mean, she comes to us, she's like, I've been in church my whole life, and I never knew any of this. And so she's growing, and then toward, toward the end of our being there, she came to me one day, and she said, okay, I've got to ask you a question, Andrew. I won't do the accent. I said, yeah. She said, she paused and she just looked at me. She said, I could tell she's, she didn't want to talk about what she's fixing to say because she's British and you, it's rude to talk about money. And she went, how do y'all do this? Went, what do you mean? She said, how do you do this? How do you live here? She said, you don't get enough offerings in this church to live here. 
How do you drive a car? How do you live in a house? How do you do this? How are you here? What means of support do you have and how is this possible? All that you do. She said, you don't take a salary from the church, do you? I said, oh, no, we, which we didn't. We couldn't. And I looked at her and I said, Aileen, it's like this. I said, you see, in the United States, we're a part of a church, a large church. It has local churches all over the United States. And I said, in those churches, they support missionaries. I said, we have probably, how many partners do we have, churches? Do you remember? 250. 250. Wow. We have 250 churches that support us every month to the tune, some as low as $5 and some as high as $600 a month. I said, so that comprises our working budget, our ministry budget, our living budget. And I said, on top of that, the car we drive, I said, the youth in the state that we're from, raise money, and they give, and then when we get to the field, we can request money, and we walked into a dealership, and we paid cash for that car, because youth, they saved money, they gave $100, they gave $5, they gave $20, some gave as much as $10,000 in youth groups, they gave money all across the state of Arkansas, and they gave that, the I said, the furniture in our house, the women's ministry gave us $6,000 to buy the furniture in our house. I said, you see, the, I said, you see the, the, the sound equipment? I said, all the microphones? She's like, yeah, youth bought that. Teenagers bought that. I said, you see the signs on our church? She's like, yeah. I said, children bought that. Wow. BGMC dollars bought that. All, so I said, all of these resources came from a little bit here and a little bit there. And, a little, and they came together. And they all believed in you. And they invested in us to bring the gospel here in seed form. <laughs> and I said, and look at the, and she saw the abundance. And as I was telling her, she was tears were running down her face. And she said, I'm so ashamed. I said, why? She said, we don't do any of that in this country. All we do is get up and go to work and earn a living and get up and go to work and earn a living and wonder how we're going to do that. She said, one day, I hope this country can do that. And that, when we take up missions offerings, See, that's the seed. Now, you may not get to go to Scotland. You may not get to go to Nigeria. But you can take 10, 20, 30, 50 dollars and it converts into a seed and it supports that missionary and they take that effa, those seeds, and they carry it into that field and they throw that bag off and they begin to plant it and plant it and it's your seed going with them that you'll never do it. So if we don't get a, we don't get a vision for a world harvest, we don't even know the heart of Jesus because this is what he came for. This is what the threshing floor was for. This is what the rest is for. This is what the finished work is for. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them to obey me, to be disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get any deeper than that. If you don't know, that's why you're here. Yes, you did. If you're not a part of missions, then you don't have the heart of God. Yes. I just can't say it no plainer. You got two people here. We are missionaries who pastor. That's what we do. Yep. And that is the message yes. of the Word of God. When you come to Christ's feet and you propose to Him,
How many of y'all have come to his feet and proposed to him? We put your, God, Jesus, throw your him over me. Mm. Cover me. Give me your rest and your protection and your security. He said, I will. I won't rest until this is done. But i got to give you something to take back. I'm going to load you up with seed. And I want you to take it. Take it and with the message everywhere you go. And they're going to say, where would you get all that abundance? And you're going to say, from the guy I laid at his feet. And he just gave me and gave me and gave me and gave me. And if you're not getting enough, you know, you know why? It's because you're not giving anything. <laughs> you're called a dead branch. But it, uh, it's nothing going through. Nothing getting in. The same hole you push it through, it's the same hole you get it from. Mm-hmm. You determine what size hole you're pushing it through. Challenge me on it. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto the bosom, your bosom. With the measure you give, that measure you shall receive. Amen. Boom. Praise God. I want you to stand. I want you to stand. Our ushers are going to be at the back to receive our we mission talk. The biggest one yet? Yes, yes, we should. Woo. The fact is, church, this is why it's so pressing upon our heart. Because to have the heart of the Father is to see the souls of the world. Someone somewhere along the way saw you. And they sold a seed. It's so to see. You say, well, I don't, I don't have a lot. You know what that is? It's the grace of God. Because he's not asking for a lot. He's just asking you to trust him. And when he can trust you as you trust him, then trust you a little more. Or you can keep holding on to it and answer to him one day. But tonight, I want to encourage you. Take a step of faith. Because there's a whole lot more Aileen's that are out there. There's a whole lot of Naomi's that are out there. There's a whole lot of Brother Go Dances that are out there in the country of the Ivory Coast. Where Charity Harris went and won a man to the Lord and is now (laughs) pastor of a church of 5,000 members. Who has a women's shelter for 300 women. Who... Lives in a room not much bigger than a couple of classrooms. But he's winning the world for Jesus. Amen. I want you to bow your head, if you will. Tonight we're going to pray. We're going to pray for our mission's emphasis, Youth Alive. Youth Alive is a faith-based missions program. It exists in order to reach students on campuses by empowering the students in your church and your youth pastors to go on to the campuses. And we support them every month. And so tonight I want us to pray for Youth Alive. Jackson Sandiford is our Youth Alive missionary over our district. And man, what a job. What a job that he has sitting in front of him. My heart aches for our young people. My heart aches for our children. They're being misidentified. They're being brutally murdered. They need Jesus. He's the only answer. Lift your hearts and your hands in your offering tonight. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your... For, Lord, you seeing us, Lord God, and sending someone, Lord God who came to us, Lord God, using their resources, Lord, to reach us. And, Lord, I pray tonight 
that, Father God, that there would be such a, such a move of your spirit, Lord God, such a revelation, Lord, of your vision, Lord, that we would begin to plant seeds, Lord God, Lord, locally, Lord God, and abroad. I pray, Father, tonight for the Eutychus generation, Lord God. Lord, resurrect them, Lord God. Resurrect their identity, Lord God. Resurrect the power and the touch, Lord. Resurrect, Lord God, their, their security, Lord, and their confidence, Lord God. And Father, most of all, resurrect their relationship with you. Lord, set them ablaze by the power of the Spirit, Lord God, that they may dwarf, Lord God, all that we could even imagine, that they would rise up, Lord God, and take over their campuses, Lord. They may rise up, Lord God, and see the Spirit of the Lord and just say no to all the nonsense that's around them and the power of God to go with them. Lord, I believe that there is a generation that you're raising up, that Lord God, that the church is going to get such a burden for, that Lord God, that they understand that they were they are born into a world that they did not create. Now, Lord God, I pray that you would empower them even now, Lord, as they step out, Father, as they begin to see, Father God, the glory of the Lord, and Father, we will make room for them. Lord God, we will open, Lord God, our hearts. We will open, Lord God, our doors. We will make room for them, Lord God, in your house to see your glory, Lord God, poured out upon them. Now, Lord, I pray, Father, for Jackson and all that you have placed upon his heart in our youth pastors, Lord. God, raise up some youth pastors, Lord God, that are passionately, purposely called for this last day church. Lord, that are set on blaze by the power of God. That, Lord God, are not relying on, Lord God, programs, but, Lord, are relying on the Holy Spirit. Lord, they want to preach the Word of God to see transformation in hearts. I pray the Word of God would get into the heart, and, Lord, it'll get back into the school. Lord God, let the Spirit of God get into the heart, and, Lord, they can't keep you out of school. Lord, I love you, and I praise you. I I pray for our administrators and our teachers tonight, Lord God. I pray for the protection upon our campuses, Lord God. I pray, God, that there would be an elimination of the days where, Lord God, some twisted demonic influence, Lord, that influences someone to go up on the campus and take innocent lives will be stopped. Lord God, let that tragic, Lord God, reality be a part of the past and not the future. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you, Lord, tonight. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you give tonight. Thank you so much. We'll see you Saturday morning at prayer at 830. God bless. Have a great rest of the night. Thank you for sticking with us. God bless you.